Don't miss moments. Throughout our message, we're going to be taking a look at the gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism, in particular Luke's gospel, but sandwiched between Matthew's gospel and John's. And as we consider Jesus' baptism, we will see what's going on inside a work of God that isn't just about Jesus being anointed, commissioned into his work of ushering in and being that Messiah, his messianic kingdom, but we're going to see how Jesus' baptism has everything to do with why you were baptized. Again, not an outward act, just praising God, dedicating ourselves to him, but more so God's work of life. So before we jump in, let's open up with prayer. Sanctify us by the truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. As I was uh, preparing for this message, I, I couldn't help but think about monumental moments in my family life. Uh, probably because every day when I get up for my cup of coffee on our kitchen counter, uh, me and Lori have this uh, frame, this Framio tablet. I don't know, any of you have a Framio 5x7 kind of picture frame? You ever heard of that? Well, here you go. I'm going to advertise for it. And I'm getting no, no, no benefit from this, no royalties or anything. But this is a cool little gift. My parents sent to me before the holidays, this is like Thanksgiving before that, this 5x7 frame, which is a, a tablet where you can just upload your pictures and whatever videos you want. And then it just kind of presents them in a slideshow. You can order them playlists. Or you can even send a link to your friends or family, and they can upload pictures but be careful if you do that. Uh, if you have any shady friends, don't do that. So, so, so anyway, uh, it is cool. I, like every morning, I'll get up and I'll just be drinking some coffee and I'll, I'll see a picture of like my kids. When they were really young, life was easy. No, that's hard. Life was really busier then. So, but there, my oldest is, she must have been about 11 and I've got four kids and so my youngest is about four and she's making pancakes and their eyes are just laser focused. They're ready to eat those pancakes. It's just, it just cracks me up. And then the next picture will come across and it's my wife when she was in her 20s. We just started dating and she's just sitting on a Martin Luther College campus lawn and it's the fall and it's just a, it's a beautiful picture. I embarrassed her when I told that in the early service when she was there. And then there's me, the next picture, and I was in sixth grade, and it must have been our family vacation at Disney World, and I'm wearing literal Disney uh, goofy cap, because that was cool, <laughs> and I had pink jams. You guys remember those long shorts, jams? That was cool. <laughs> so, and here I am with my dorky glasses, and my, I had bedhead and all that, and I'm sticking my finger out, and there's this plastic alligator biting my finger next to a sign, because we're in Florida, it says, beware of the alligators. Like, <laughs> I was annoying as a kid, I'll be honest. So, <laughs> my poor parents, like 12 hours driving to Florida, what will Bill say next? Um, so, yeah, pictures like that, photos. I mean, if, if I were to go around, and I will, uh, take your phones and go through, no, I'm just kidding, I won't do that. But if you were to take a look at your pictures and your phones, you would see... Beautiful people and amazing moments, all as gifts from God. So if you want to pick up a Framio and just see that every day and just have a blast, go, go do it. That's it's amazing. I mean, just to look at those moments you wouldn't want to miss, you wouldn't trade for anything. 
So I was thinking about those pictures, pictures you have. I mean, if I were to get to go into your work uh, place in your office, I'm sure I'd see some pictures on your desk in five by seven frames or whatever. Or if I were to go in your living room and, and see different pictures around, maybe a portrait, a family portrait displayed. I started thinking about what would God display if we could think like that? What would God display in his heavenly home where soon we will be? In the mansion above what pictures of his family would he put up for everyone to enjoy? Maybe if you're taking notes, just ponder that for a little bit. What pictures would God place up in the heavenly realms? Well, by grace, because of what we just experienced, words of sin and grace, there would be pictures of you. By grace, you are the apple of his eye. He loves you. He thinks about you 24-7, 365, he's preparing a place for you. He's looking forward to you being with him. And I, I would guess then, if he had pictures, it would be a picture of your baptism. The day when it wasn't so much about your parents offering you up to God or you saying you love God, maybe that's part of it, but God claiming you. I don't know how it works, but by God's promise, in this tangible outpouring of his grace and water, he literally claims you to be his. He adopts you in his family. Wouldn't you have a picture of that? I know, I know he would. I'm going to treasure that today. Uh, he'd have a picture of this moment. I mean, this is a family reunion. Do you ever think about every Sunday, God's people gather together, we're reunited, and we're looking for that one perfect Reunion above. I bet he has a picture of all of God's children all around the world on Sunday mornings gathering in his house. It's a good time. When you do life together, two or three, when you gather in your little groups, guess what? Jesus is there too. He promises that wherever two or three gather. And wherever Jesus shows up, that is a moment to remember. In fact, even when you're on your own, do you know this? When you're behind closed doors and you're just praying, pouring your heart out to God and you're just reading his word, when you're having that conversation, he speaks, you pray. He even remembers moments like that. I wonder if those would be the pictures he would keep in his wallet. Beautiful moments of God where he celebrates his grace in you. I think it's good to think like that. Of course, the centerpiece, the portrait in his living room space, wouldn't it be of Jesus? And maybe it would be a collage, just all these different works of our Lord Jesus when he walked visibly among us. I, I would think that uh, Jesus, his, his birth into this world, Christmas, as humble as that was, I think God would have a picture of that. I mean, Mary holding the one to crush the devil's head. Wow. See, Simeon in the temple acknowledged this is the Savior. To see Jesus uh, healing, doing miracles. I, I could see the wedding of Cana where they ran out of wine and there is the Son of God saying, no, there's more. I could see him in pictures, in video clips, healing the lepers, healing the paralytics, healing the deaf, the blind, the mute, bringing a little piece of heaven in the sin-broken world to testify that he is the one God sent. I could see the empty tomb. I mean, surely Easter, <laughs> Jesus conquering death, just rising out of the grave. Oh, I could see that in a picture in God's house. 
or the ascension. We just read about, right, those words, go now. All authority has been given to me, and he's ascending, and we're ready to go out. I can see the disciples going and Jesus ascending. But I think there would be some pictures that he wouldn't take. I think there would be some portions of Jesus' ministry, his life, that he wouldn't put up for anyone to see. They're, they're best probably just written in the word. Jesus' crucifixion. I mean, the actual crucifixion of Jesus, we have sanctified pictures of it, and it means so much to us. But uh, I, think, I think one of the reasons why God uh, had Jesus come at the time he did when you couldn't take pictures or videos is because that probably isn't worth seeing. I wonder if there's another event in Jesus' ministry where I don't know if God would put up in his house. And that would be his baptism, I think. Take note of that, too. Would a picture of Jesus' baptism be included among God's treasured memories? I think our first thought would be, why not? It's amazing. He's coming out of the waters. We're going to read about that. The Spirit's being poured out visibly like a dove. God's saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Why wouldn't you have a picture of that? Center stage. Well, as we look at the gospel accounts, we're going to find, as we dig a little deeper, this is kind of a scandalous moment. When we look a little deeper, we're going to see that this is pretty humiliating for Jesus. We might find that it's actually the opposite of what we know for our own baptisms, which we treasure. So have I piqued your interest a little bit? You be the judge. You tell me after we consider these accounts if God would display this in heaven above. Let's jump into Matthew, his gospel. Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 16. Here he writes, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. So things are just beginning for Jesus. John has been at it for at least six months. Now, when John sees Jesus, we read, John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's kind of curious, isn't it? Why did John object to Jesus being baptized. I think at face value, it would appear that while John realizes someone greater than he is there, and he realizes his own need for baptism, and so it makes sense. No, no, Jesus, you, you should baptize me. I don't deserve this honor. But there's something more going on, and that's evident when Jesus says, no, this must be the case. We must do this. John, you must baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. That's interesting because it wasn't a command at this time. Jesus didn't have to be baptized to fulfill some ceremony. So what gives? Why the back and forth? And why is it almost a rebuke? John, I must take up this baptism. And when you look a little bit further in the context of Matthew and the other Gospels too, you're going to see this. This is the shocking thing about it. Matthew would tell us that John came with a baptism for repentance, for sinners. Baptisms for sinners. Matthew, he speaks to that very clearly. Matthew 3.11, that was John, his whole ministry. Repent, be baptized, 
so that God might wash away your sins. Now here comes the sinless Son of God, and He's going to be baptized in a baptism for sinners. Well, I can see why John might say, no, no, no. It should be me, not you. Now why would Jesus say it has to be? I have to be baptized into this. Luke's going to help us a little bit. Luke's going to fill in some more of the details so we get a clearer picture of what's going on. Luke says in chapter 3, 21 through 22, he says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. It's kind of a surprising thought. Now, we see this. As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I think this is why we would say, wow, what a moment to remember. I mean, God is truly excited about Jesus being baptized. He visibly shows himself, form of a dove, pours himself out on Jesus according to his spirit. And then the father says, this is my son. I'm well pleased. But there's always a reason when God shows up. There's a reason why God speaks from the heaven. This is my son. He is looking to confirm important truths. For example, if John somewhat objected, it might be good for God to show up and give a witness, know that Jesus knows what he's doing. And it's interesting, when the Spirit pours out on Jesus, he does so as he would often, well, as we might find sometimes in the Scriptures, but it's actually few and far between, uh, he, he will empower someone to do something impossible. You think of Samson. Samson had the spirit on him, and he was able to defeat the Philistines. Think about King David. He was anointed. The spirit fell upon him. The next chapter, he beats Goliath. So the spirit is empowering Jesus to fulfill this role of the Messiah, without which it's impossible to save humanity. And the reason is because the nature of the work is so excruciatingly humiliating. He's doing battle against sin and death and the devil, and it's going to take a cross. And if we were to go by appearances, he would look like he was defeated, not a champion. It would make sense why the Spirit would visibly manifest himself and prove to the world, no, this is the plan. It's even more clear, too, when the Father says, yes, this is my son. Yes, I love him. I am well pleased with this, John. It was God's will. It was God's will that Jesus would take up a sinner's baptism. Let's fill in another thought here. And this is what's surprising. He was pleased to have Jesus pictured with sinners. Jesus' baptism is all about him being numbered with you, with me, transgressors. As if there were no difference. Although the difference is that Jesus never sinned. But Isaiah, 700 years before, said Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ to come, who we know as Jesus, he would have to be just like you, just like me, but without sin, taking your sin and mine on him. I think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. And this is scandalous. This is shocking. Paul would tell us, God made him who had no sin to be sin or a sin offering. I suppose you could say sin incarnate, though not guilty of one sin, 
so that you and I might be the righteousness, God's perfection. That's scandalous. You could say it this way. Jesus, when he goes into the waters of baptism, unlike us, our sins are washed away by God's promise. When he goes into these waters, he's taking up our sin. He's being marked as the sinner. And God feels compelled to prove publicly, this is my will. With all that it means that even he should die on a cross. We find this to be the case when we take a look at John's gospel next. John chapter 1, 29 through 32, we see the next day, John, that would be the baptizer, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, John finally got it like, oh, when Jesus was baptized, it wasn't to wash away sins, it was to soak it up and to begin a three-year march to a cross to die. He would become, yes, the lamb we've been waiting for to sacrifice so that we would not suffer hell. And there's images here of uh, Leviticus, this festival in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16, the day of atonement when God would finally be reconciled to people and it would be by way of a scapegoat. Someone would have to be blamed. Someone would have to pay for all the sins of the world. And God in his grace said, it wouldn't be you. It would be the one to come. So Jesus, at his baptism, is called, declared the Lamb of God, the scapegoat. Where we can blame him, we can put our sins on him, and he'll go out beyond the city in the wilderness, and he will die our death. That's scandalous. Because here's the insight we can come up with as we take a look at Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism is a picture of his mugshot where he's literally numbered with criminals, though he had committed no crime. And in this moment when God says, with him I am well pleased, yes, this is the plan, it's as if God says, yes, and he is doomed to die. The father loves the son because he gives his life up for the sheep. It's his death sentence. And here's my question. This is why I would ask. Do you think God would put that picture up in his heavenly realm? His son's mugshot with the caption says, death declared guilty. I wouldn't put that picture up if that were my son. So Jesus is the sponge at his baptism to soak up all the sins of the world. While when we're baptized, he washes it all away. You see the difference? And you see how Jesus' baptism makes ours beautiful? Maybe I can use another illustration to kind of drive the thought home of the beauty of a moment you wouldn't want to miss. Uh, Moses Mendelssohn, not, uh, not, not the composer Mendelssohn, but Moses Mendelssohn was a German philosopher. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a story about uh, this woman that he fell in love with, Fromit Guggenheim. Uh, he was an 18th century philosopher in Germany. He was uh, pretty well known. People loved to read his writings. Hear what he had to say, pretty enlightened, and except they were pretty repulsed when they actually would see him. <laughs> uh, he was kind of a short fellow, and he wasn't anything to look at. He, he actually had a disfigurement, a hunchback. Well, from it, Guggenheim uh, fell in love with his words, wanted to see him, 
Heard that he was single, but then she saw him. And she said, like, no thanks. <laughs> well, he saw her, and he pursued uh, perhaps a relationship with her, although she wouldn't have any of it. Finally, he corners her, and he asks her, he says, so do you think marriage is made in heaven? So this is a pickup line, right? <laughs> and she says, yes, I do believe marriage is made in heaven. He says, do you know what else happens in heaven? True story. He says, legend has it that angels will share with men whom their brides will be. We'll give the details of their name and what they look like and where they live so that that man can go and find his bride. He says, it was interesting when the angel, though, said your name. He didn't tell me anything more about you. I was troubled by that. And so I pleaded with him, and I pleaded with him, and I pleaded with him. Finally, he shared. He says, look, I didn't want to tell you more than her name because she's disfigured. She's appalling. If I were to tell you that, well, I'd be afraid that you'd ask for another bride. So Moses told her, so I did plead. I did beg, but not for another bride. I asked instead that I might take your disfigurement as my own, that you might be beautiful in every way and not suffer the scorn of the world. And it worked. <laughs> Can you believe that? Man, what a wise, clever guy that guy was. By the way, maybe a single men, if you're looking to, you know, a little pickup line, there you go. That's your story. True story. They married in 1762, and they had six kids, and it was beautiful. Now, obviously, that's not what happens in heaven. It was just a trick he used to try to win her with his charm. But that story, and this is why it's such a beautiful connection to what we're talking about today, that story did happen in Jesus looking for the bride of the church. You. Uh, Ephesians 1 in eternity says that God chose you in Christ before the creation of the world. So we imagine this conversation. Jesus knew that we would fall into sin. Jesus knew that we would be disfigured and would be appalling, only deserving of death. And Jesus, before the creation of the world, committed to taking our corruption, taking our disfigurement, so that we could be beautiful in God's sight. And he fashions all human history, and it all culminates in Jesus' ministry, and it begins at his baptism. This is where he takes our sin, our corruption, so we could be beautiful, forgiven. You see what's going on in Jesus' baptism? At Jesus' baptism, he trades places with us. Trades places with us. Think about that. His baptism, it plunges him, buries him deep into our sin, though he is sinless. Our baptism, it plunges us in his grace, and we're raised in that grace. His baptism, think of this, destined him for death. Our baptism bound us for life, heaven, Complete opposites. He trades places. We take his, he takes ours. His baptism was utterly 
humiliating. Ours is infinitely exalting. Again, the beauty of Christ becoming one of us, taking our place. When he ascends, guess who goes with him? You do. Literally to reign alongside God and man. That's your place. That begins at your baptism. That's so beautiful. Well, we could see why God would have a picture of your baptism in the heavenly realms. I don't know. Though if you would have a picture of Jesus, you decide. I think the important thing, though, is to recognize this. There's a lot going on in baptism. It isn't just this outward show, because then there'd be no difference between Jesus' baptism and yours. No, it's all about the inner work of God taking your place so you can have his. You see how practical that is, too, that understanding? I mean, every day, every day, if you feel like you're the lowest of the low because you can't shake your sin, God declares in your baptism, which has ongoing effects, you're my child. With you, I am well pleased. Today is a new day. You're forgiven. You're loved. Rise with Christ. Do battle with your sin. Leave it all at the cross. I suppose today we could say in Jesus' baptismal waters. Here's the point we walk away with today. You see, because God is pleased that Jesus' baptism, so humiliating, he's pleased with ours. Dear baptized children of God, think about his baptism. Remember yours.